welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Hey Kingdom Culture, happy Sunday. Welcome to our online experience. I want to say a special shout out to all the fathers out there listening right now, whether you're live with us or you're going to watch after the fact. Uh, Just happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Today is a special day where we get to celebrate the fathers in our lives. I want to just open up today with a very powerful verse that I love so much. And I have shared from this verse several times over the last probably five years, maybe decade, and uh, I just love it so much. Something that I actually think about relatively consistency or consistent. Uh, I, I meditate on this verse. I think about this verse, especially when things feel hard, when things feel like we're just not moving ahead. I think about this verse and I think about it because I think about the context from which it was written from. And this is a verse based out of Ephesians and Paul the Apostle is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, to the believers, and he's writing this letter in a place of captivity. He's actually in prison. So imagine, you know, you're reading this verse and you're thinking about, okay, where is this verse? When is he writing it? Where is he writing it? He's writing it from prison. You hear it, you see it way different. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, says this, Therefore I, Paul, a prisoner, he's literally a prisoner, he's in prison, for serving the Lord, beg you, plead with you, my hope for you is that you would lead a life worthy of, of your calling, for you have been called by God. Such a powerful statement. I charge you, I beg you, as somebody who's in chains right now, who's clearly, if he's in chains, writing to the church, writing to the believers, encouraging them, clearly he is, by example, leading a life worthy of his calling. The fact that he's not stopped because it was hard. He's not stopped because he was in chains, so to speak. He's not stopped uh, what he's called to do just because circumstances haven't been what would feel like favorable. And I think a lot of us can learn so much from this. When life doesn't feel favorable, when circumstances that we didn't choose or do not like come our way, when situations happen in our life that you know, really try to take us out and we want to give up and maybe we're struggling in our relationship with God or struggling in a relationship or struggling with our career or struggling in any area of life. When life just doesn't feel favorable and we feel like we're in a metaphoric prison, are we still able to live a life that's worthy of God's calling over our life? Because we have been 
called by God. So today, on Father's Day, I want to talk about this subject, and I, I want to make a statement, um, but I, I, want to, I want to speak from this idea of living from worth. Living from worth. Not for it, but from it. And the statement is, we have a good father. We can live from worth because we have a good father. God is a good father. He is a good dad. He is a good caretaker, caregiver. He is a good leader. He is a good provider. He is the God of more than enough. He is the God who heals. He's the God who saves. He's a good king. He is a God who's got our back, protects us. He is our security. He is our home. He is our strong place, our fortress. And because of that, we can live out our calling from a place of worth. Now, we're living in a time and in a culture where fathers, male figures in general are literally being torn down. This word toxic masculinity that you've probably heard so much in the last season. And of course, there is toxic versions of every uh, part of society. There's toxic toxic femininity. femininity. There's toxic masculinity. There's toxic uh, businesses and workplaces and churches and all kinds of environments and relationships. And yes, there is that, that side of it. But I feel like what I've seen and what I've noticed in society and culture in this day is that it feels as though sometimes anything that sounds manly gets attached to this idea that it's toxic. It's like we're, we're constantly redefining what masculinity should be. We're redefining what uh, you know masculinity is supposed to be. And that word toxic masculinity gets thrown around so much for anything that sounds typical or stereotypical of a man. And I just believe it's a demonic assault against who God has created men to be. We need men. We need fathers. We need family. Mom and dad. Family is kingdom. We need this to stay intact. And what's happening right now around the world in our society, you know, in south of the border, every really everywhere at some level, we're seeing the the movement of this where the family unit is being broken down and media and society is trying to break it down, saying, you know, we don't need it like that. Even though it's always been like that, we want to break what is normal. We want to break what actually is what feels like and is obvious to everybody else, common sense, you know, and we want to break the family unit down. We want to break men down. We want to break women down. And I just believe that in this season, we need a word like this, that we have worth, who we were created to be, our origin story, how we were designed, has worth. We don't need to change that design. We don't need to change that origin story to find worth, to find acceptance, because so many people are chasing all kinds of different things in this in this hour to escape who they are to find acceptance, to escape how they were created to be to find acceptance. There's this desire and design in all of us to find and receive acceptance. But that design and that who we were created to be and find acceptance can only be founded in the one who has already accepted us, who already loves us. He first loved us. His name is Jesus. He's a good father. And from this place, we actually can find our real worth and live out 
who we are called to be. And I, I know for me, uh, I just believe that all the men listening out there today, I speak this over myself, I speak this over you, all the fathers out there, I wanted to say that you have value, you have a role, you have a calling, you have a responsibility, you have a voice, you have a price, you have a, a worth that goes beyond anything that you can comprehend. And as we discover our relationship with Jesus, as our, we discover our relationship with a good father, we really see how much worth we really have. And I've struggled hard with this as a father over the years, as a husband, as a man. And I want to brand this verse on my heart this morning and on your heart this morning, searing myself with a metaphoric hot identification iron that says, I have worth because of the price Jesus paid for me on the cross. He paid, he paid to reconcile you back on the cross through shedding his blood, through dying on a cross, a willful, willing death, resurrecting, all of that was payment to remove the stain of sin and guilt and condemnation off of your life and set you free, reconciling you back to the Father. Jesus said, there's no way to the Father except through me. You want to encounter a good Father? See me. Once you see me, you've seen the Father. I am the exact, Hebrew says, representation of the Father. There is no other bridge, no other mediator. If you want to know a good Father, Jesus is the bridge towards that. And this is the gospel. He died on a cross as our mediator, the one who sets us free from ourselves, who destroys the power of sin and death, condemnation, to give us the life that we were always created to live. I have worth because of the price Jesus paid on the cross. Think about that in today's message. I yesterday, Just yesterday, my five-year-old daughter, Harvest, I was just, I don't know where I was in the house and she said to me, I came up to get, give me a big hug out of nowhere, and she said to me, she said these words, she said, Daddy, you're the only daddy I ever want to have. And I'm like, thank God that I am the only daddy that you ever want to have. I was like yelling amens in my spirit when she said that. You're the only daddy that I ever want to have. And some of you need to hear this this morning, that you are worthy, that you are the only you you are the only version of you that God wants to have. God doesn't want you to pretend to be something that you're not. God wants you. He created you and he's designed you for a purpose and he wants you to be the best version of you, the only version of you, not like anybody else. And I, I want us to think about that. The way that I received that from my daughter was kind of reflective in how I view God sees me in the sense of Sean, like, you're the version of you. Yes, we're always getting better. And of course, and I would say this over and over again, like, you know, there's always a better version of us. But in the sense of, I am the only me that God ever wants to have. I am the only me. You know, you're the only you. There's no other version, no other person that can replace you. You cannot pretend to be someone else and think that God is going to love that someone else. God loves who you are, who he's created you to be because you have worth in that space. You don't need to be running around trying to get acceptance by doing this, by doing that, by changing the way you look or changing the way that you are to get acceptance in a world that screams, find acceptance by changing the external, by changing how you present yourself, how you are, find acceptance. No, 
I'm already accepted. And from that place, I can live from worth and live a life that I've cre- I've been created to live. Some of us need to be reminded of this today. God does not bless who you pretend to be, but he blesses who you are and are called to be because you've been created with a purpose before you were ever even in your mama's belly, okay? You had a purpose, a foreordained purpose. Let's see what it says in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 to 6 says this, the Lord in the process of Jeremiah the prophet's call, okay? Young guy, he's being called as a prophet to do some really scary things. God speaks to Jeremiah and says, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you because because God had to preface the fear he was going to feel, the excuses he was going to make, all the things he was about to say as to why he can't do the call, why he can't fulfill the mandate. God had to preface all that by just reminding him that before he ever even had an excuse to make, before he even ever had any fear to fear or anxiety or what if I do this and something bad happens, before he even ever had any of that, God had already foreordained a purpose and a plan for him to live out. It says in verse five, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Verse six, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you, I'm too young. This was his excuse, this was his first sort of like excuse why he could not do what God had called him to do. But God was trying to get him to focus on the fact that, listen, this was all set out before you were ever even in your mama's womb. I knew you, I foreordained you. I saw what you would be, I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And we're gonna pound this out a little bit later in a mini series. We're gonna talk about, you know, this first chapter of Jeremiah and the power of chapter one of the book of Jeremiah, exploring a little bit about this. And we're gonna do a little bit of a mini series. So, you know, stay tuned for that. But Jeremiah really tried to disqualify himself before he even started. And I think so many of us, because we don't know our worth, we don't we don't have that understanding that God had foreordained a plan for us to be appointed specifically, maybe for whatever it is that we're doing right now. Maybe you feel like you're in that space right now. God foreordained that. He planned that. Maybe you feel like you're not in that space, but this journey that you're on right now is a part of preparing you for that space. Jeremiah had preparation leading up to this. We don't exactly know what his preparation was, but there were things that were happening along his journey to get him ready to be able to even receive this understanding or revelation of what he was called to be and do. And so I just declare over all the men out there, all the fathers out there that are doubting they can continue being the the, the good father that they are called to be or the the husbands out there, the men out there that can be that, that are called to be the good leader they are called to be. I just declare over you, whatever it is that you're doing right now, if you are in relationship with God, chances are wherever you are right now is a part of the foreordained destiny that God appointed you to be. You may not feel like you're swimming in the sauce yet or in the exact space you want to be. You never may actually feel that way, but as long as you're letting God leads your journey, you're actually in the right space and you're in that preparation phase of what God has called you to be and do. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, for we are his workmanship. We are his, poema is the word. We are his poem. We are his workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art 
created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, this is out of the Amplified, renewed, ready to be reused for good works, which God prepared for us, listen to this, beforehand. You were prepared for good works beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. Everything that you are called to do was prearranged. He created you for good works. Now, it's up to you to accept that invitation, to accept the invitation of why he created you. It's up to you to respond to the RSVP. It's up to you to let him in lead your life. You're only going to fulfill the potential within your life based on one determining factor, your ability to surrender, your ability to say yes, your ability to return the RSVP and say, I'm all in. It might take you 40 years, it might take you two years, it might take you six months, it might take you, I don't know how long it's gonna take you, but it's only gonna take you as much time as it takes you to say yes. That's the starting point. But we have to know that there was a plan before you ever even knew there was a plan. There was a plan for your life before you were ever even in your mama's womb. And this is a revelation I think that if we get, we will see, wow, the goodness of God had a plan for me before I ever even was born into this earth. I can rest, be rest assured that God's got me. Like, this is all part of my journey. Like, whatever that is, I is I'm going through right now, it sucks, it's hard, but I'm gonna make it through this process. And so as kingdom people, leaders, as men, fathers, and really this applies to females out there as well, we have, number one, write this down, a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, our opening passage, therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. I'm like pleading with you, lead a life or live a life, lead a life. This word for lead a life in some translations or live a life, the word is also walk, walk the, the, the walk out, okay? This word actually means to walk or comprehensively around. It means to walk around and a complete circuit going full circle. Another way we could define this and break this down from the roots of, these wor- of this word in the Greek is walk at large, especially as proof of ability. In other words, showcase your ability by walking around and moving ahead. Showcase your ability. Your ability to respond is your response ability. Your ability to respond is your responsibility. Lead, live, and love. He's charging us to live out the life that we are called to live, to live responsibly. Part of living worthy or worthily of the calling is to lead and live a life, to walk around full, like literally to walk around full circle. It means to literally, you keep on moving. And you, you know, you're gonna mess up, you're gonna make mistakes, you're gonna like falter at times, you're gonna get derailed at times, but as long as you keep moving, you will walk full circle. As long as you keep moving, you will prove that you are responsible because it's the proof, literally, of ability to prove that you have responsibility, to prove that you have what it takes to fulfill the call that's on your life. And I just believe that, you know, Paul was really exemplifying this. I mean, I, he, he was maintaining his responsibility, his calling to encourage the church while he himself probably needed the most encouragement as a prisoner. 
Like he, he made that statement, as a prisoner, I urge you, I beg you to live a life worthy of your call. Because some of you, you're not prisoners and you're just not seeing the value. I'm a prisoner here and I'm missing out on life. Life isn't normal. I'm on lockdown here. Life doesn't feel normal for me, but life may be normal for you. And I beg you, while you're in that space, to live a life worthy of the call over your life. My responsibility as a father leader to take care of what has been given to me, manage, is part of taking my responsibility seriously. And because I've been given a value that needs to be given back to all things that have been entrusted to me. What I mean by that is, if I know my value, if I know my worth, if I know who I am, if I know the responsibility that I have, I will be able to more effectively and generously give back to the things around my life. Because giving is a responsibility of understanding who I am and what I'm called to live. Winston Churchill said it like this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. This is the life. I mean, Paul literally is giving out while he probably, and all of us in this watching this right now are probably like, man, we are the ones that need to be receiving. We're the ones in prison. And here he is, he's giving out. He's giving out because we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. He was literally charging us to live a life, lead a life in responsibility. And that responsibility looks like generosity. It looks like you keep on moving forward. You keep on pouring out, even if circumstances are not favorable towards you. So many of us have forfeited our responsibility to lead, to be ahead, to be the example, to take charge, to walk in humility, grace, mercy, compassion, because we don't know that we have value, which leads me to my next point. Number two, we have value. Yes, we have responsibility, but we also have value. We have value. Let's explore the meaning of this opening verse a little deeper. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead or live a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. This word for worthy, in some translations we'll say worthily, okay? This, trans, this, this Greek word for worthily literally means having worth, listen to this, that matches actual value. If Jesus paid a price for you by dying on the cross, you know you have an, un an uncomprehendable value, a value that you cannot comprehend. There's no price tag. But let's just say for the purpose of you know us understanding in this concept illustratively, you are the a number that nobody has in the world. Let's say you are a, you are a trillionaire, okay? You are a multi-trillionaire. Your value is as a multi-trillionaire. If you know you are a multi-trillionaire, I'm pretty sure you will live a life that represents that. You'll live at a life that showcases to the world that you are a multi-trillionaire. I'm not saying that, you know, you gotta go and buy all, you know, the crazy yachts and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that people will know. You'll live according to your value. But God, looks at us sometimes and it's like, I don't know what this guy's doing. I don't know what this woman's doing. They're a multi-trillionaire because I put that price tag on them. That's their value, but they're living life like they're only have $100 in their pocket. They're living their life like they, all they got is a bunch of change 
in their pocket. That's all they got. They're acting as though they have nothing when they have everything. Ephesians says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Yet often when we go through stuff in our lives, we act as though we've not been blessed at all. We act as though when we have an opportunity to give, we act as though we've not been blessed. Maybe we're struggling, right, rightly so. But even if you're struggling, there's never a time in your life where you cannot be generous. It simply does not exist. There's only a time in your life where in your mindset, you believe a lie that says, when you're struggling, you hoard, you hold, you, for fear of losing even more, you hold back. That's just simply not the kingdom. And you're never gonna grow in kingdom living. We're talking about the kingdom a lot in this season. You're never gonna grow in kingdom living if you don't activate kingdom living by going against the grain of what society and your own fear tells you. That when you don't have enough, that's the time to hold back. No, it's the time to continue to live out the principles of God and to be led by the Spirit even when it makes no sense. And so to live worthy, to live a life or lead a life worthy means to live a life that matches the actual value. So if I have a multi-trillionaire price tag on my life, I need to act as though I am a multi-trillionaire and live that life out and how I view life and how I represent myself and how I uh, take care and love people and how I am generous in all those different areas of my life. We live from this place, but many of us live like we have no value. And I'm not talking like, again, forget the money piece for a second. I'm not talking about acting as though you got all this money and you're going to debt. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like how you treat your family. If you're that valuable, I'm just using money as a as a way to illustrate how valuable you are, because that's how people see value. Most people in the world see value, okay? And of course, as kingdom people, we don't see value by money. That's not what we're talking about. I'm just using this as an illustration, so don't, you know, don't get confused there. But I'm talking about like how you value yourself, how you value your family, how you value your health, how you value your career, how you steward your life. What if, let me propose this to you, what if how you treat life around you in the sense of what's been entrusted to you or entrusted to us to be stewards of is a reflection of how we actually view our own value and worth. What if, okay, so God's given you an apartment, God's given you a house, God's given you a car, God's given you um, a body that moves around, that's healthy, God's given you whatever it is. I mean, you could name it. God's given you an amazing career, an amazing job, an amazing entrepreneurial business, an opportunity, you know, you've been given whatever it is that you feel like you know you've been given. You've been given great compassion, great mercy gift, great hospitality, whatever it is for you. How we treat those things in our life, I would propose this to you, often is a reflection of how we view our own value. If you know God has given you this amazing, let's say, um, you've broken through and you, you got the house you wanted. God's given, is entrusted it to you. You are now called in responsibility. You are now called because you, you're literally, you're, you're, you're experiencing your own value. You feel like God's answered your prayer. Now God has called you to be a steward of that house. He's called you to be, to manage it well. And I would propose that the way that we treat the things and I'm even talking about material things. The way we treat material things that God has favored us with or entrusted to us 
or the lack of treatment or the lack of stewardship of those things can often be reflected back to how we view ourselves. And uh, I just remember like years ago, I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I was with somebody that I, you know, really respect and, you know, who's been a mentor of mine for, for years and really just a, um, a mother in, her, in the faith. And I remember staying with, with them in this house and the husband, you know, the husband's kind of background, you know, you never, you never see him. He's just, he's a supporter, supports everything that she does. You know, she's a very well, well-known, uh, you know, minister and entrepreneur, businesswoman. And he's really just, he's an amazing supporter, backbone of everything. And I remember seeing like while I was there, um, him like literally like taking care of his property. I mean like meticulously, like, just taking care of his outside, backyard, front, I mean inside. He was just always, um, just it seemed like he just managed his household well. And I remember asking him and even talking to another person about it. I'm like, I just noticed like they, he really like, he really takes responsibility. He really stewards like everything that God has given him. Because this is the one thing that about this couple that I really admired was that they just were amazing stewards of what God had entrusted to them. And I remember someone making this statement. I think he even actually encouraged it and re said it again when I asked them. He said basically, and the person said like, that, that because he has a revelation of stewardship and his own value, that's why he treats the things that are entrusted to him with value. Because of how he sees, how he knows God sees him. Because I know, because, how, because of how God has entrusted him with all these things, his ability to manage and steward those things on the outside simply is a reflection of how he knows God sees his own value and worth. And I would propose that to you. And I remember years ago, I was, you know, uh, mentoring this individual and, and, uh, you know, of course in a mentoring relationship, you're always going to, you're going to have friction because you're going to say things that might really offend, offend them and, uh, rattle them. Like I, I happens to me all the time. If someone's mentoring me and they call me out on something, say something to me and I'm like, Oh, I don't like that, but I know it's right. I know it feels good or it feels bad, but I know it's right. It's good for me. I remember this one moment I, you know, I was at his house and I, I looked at him and I said, listen, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm kind of disturbed by your backyard. Now this sounds superficial on the surface, but I said to him, I said, I'm kind of disturbed by your backyard. I'm just like, you know, God's given you this house. He's entrusted. This was a breakthrough house for you. You celebrated it. You testified about it. You shared about it. This was a breakthrough house. And it looks like your backyard is a jungle. Like you don't take care of your backyard. And and I just kind of dug in and it was like a really big offense at the time. And uh, I know it dug, it dug deep, but really it was hitting deep at a cord in his life that basically said, I don't feel valued. I don't feel like I'm worth it. So therefore I treat the things around me like they have no worth because I don't feel like I have worth. It's kind of like the dad or the mom that treat their kids in a bad way because maybe they grew up in abusive contexts and because they don't feel loved and because they don't feel worth worthy or worth it or valuable, that actually spills over into how they treat their kids. Well, I think it spills over into every area of our life. How we maintain what God has given us and entrusted to us really is a reflection of whether or not we know our value. And so I just want to encourage us out there in this season, look at our, look at your lives, look at our, let's look at our, let's examine our lives a little deep and say, what areas of our life 
are really reflections of areas within our own lives that maybe we don't feel like we have value. So we have responsibility, we have value. Number three, we have calling. We have calling. You know, and I, I say calling and I don't say a calling because I think sometimes a calling makes people feel like they're waiting for this one day, this calling out of the sky, lightning bolt, this is my calling. Number one, our calling is real simple, to love God and love people. Our calling is real simple, to know him and make his name known, okay? You know, when you think calling, you think you're, you know, your calling is to be this giant CEO and a Fortune 500 company and on the front page of Forbes magazine or pop star or mother of 10 kids or whatever it is, you, you put a label on your calling. But a calling really is so general. It's, a, it's a, in the kingdom, it's very general. Love God, love people. How that expresses itself, how that translates is going to continue to unfold throughout your life. And so we have callings, we have calling just in general. We have seasonal callings, we have spiritual callings, we have leadership, we have supreme callings, we have eternal callings, the eternal one literally meaning to love God, love people. That's the most important. But Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, excuse me, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. This word calling literally means to summon. What have you been summoned to? What is God summoning to, to you or summoning you to do in this season? Maybe it's not the same thing as it was in the last season. What is God summoning you to in this season? Love your wife, love your husband better, love your family, pour into your kids, you know, get this job, do this thing, start this business. What is God summoning you in this, this season of your life? And live from that space because you have calling. I remember when God first started calling me to speak, I felt so unqualified, so insufficient. I mean, I spent my whole life up until I was 18, like, you know, with a stutter before I, you know, or before I was actually 19, uh, until I got baptized, God didn't loose my tongue. And so I thought speaking would never be a thing. I was a background guy, drummer, you know, never in the forefront, always said I'll never speak behind a mic. And then God started to call me to step out into these opportunities of speaking. No way. At no point did I ever think that I would speak like that would be my thing. Like there's like, I thought, yeah, I can't, I'll speak a few times and you know, God was working in, in me, you know, boldness and confidence and, but I, I, in no way did I ever think I would be doing what I'm doing today. But as you seize the calling in every season, your calling unfolds. And like I said, there are many types of callings and I think you can't just get pigeonholed to like, what is my one thing? You know, I don't, I don't believe that speaking is my one thing. I don't believe that pastoring is my one thing. I don't believe having, you know, small business is my one thing. I don't believe that whatever it is, is my one thing. Like my calling is to love God, love people, do kingdom, and let that express itself through everything that God entrusts to me. Are you with me? I can't hear you, but I hope that you, you are. I remember in 2006 where I had, an encounter in Moravian Falls in, uh, in, you know, North Carolina where, or South Carolina, where literally I had an experience of the calling of my life shifting radically. I had a radical visitation from the Lord that changed the trajectory of my life. 
and the things that God spoke to me in 2006, I'm still continuing to live out. But this started not in 2006. It started, you know, uh, in, in the beginning of my journey when I was just 19, 18 years old, 19 years old, actually, at a conference. I remember I was at a prophetic, one of my, my first prophetic conference. I'd never been to a prophetic conference. It was a Graham Cook conference. It was the first time I'd ever actually done some sort of a prophetic activation, although I was already doing that personally. But the first time I'd ever done a prophetic activation with a group of people. And this one guy gave me this word. And it was the first word that I think that I can recall anyways that had to do with church in general. And I remember the word was, without going into all the details, was that he saw me whistling underneath a car, fixing a car, and he felt like God was saying to him that God was going to give me an ability to fix things within the church. And it was one of the first callings that God had ever spoken clear about the church as a whole. Like I know we're all called to build the church, of course. And But for me, that was the first time that I'd ever get, been given a word about, okay, I would be a part of, you know, helping bring alignment to things. And this is kind of what we see in Ephesians chapter four, which is the verse we're, we're talking about. But down the line, all the way to verse 11, you see these leadership gifts that are called to build the church and equip the church so that things can stay in order and things can become mature. And so I started to really see, well, maybe I'm, there's like a, a deeper sense of calling that I'm supposed to lock into when it comes to the, but I, like, I had no idea that I'd ever be doing what I'm doing today. Like I said, we have calling and I had to begin to live out in my spirit, live out in my soul, in my flesh, in my everyday through opportunity to live out and see this calling begin to manifest itself by managing responsibility, stewarding the opportunities that were entrusted to me. A calling without confidence is a calling not apprehended. Write that down. A calling without confidence is a calling not apprehended. If you don't have confidence in your calling, you will not apprehend it. And I don't mean a kind of fleshly, in your own strength confidence. I'm talking about a Godfidence. A confidence in God, even in my weakness. If God's spoken it to me, he's summoned me to do this, I'm gonna live a life worthy of it. I'm gonna live a life that matches the actual value. I'm a trillion, I'm a multi, I have a multi-trillionaire price tag on my life, so I'm gonna act as though I, I am that. I'm gonna treat my body, my life, everything around me from that place of value because God values me, so because he's a good father, I'm gonna live from worth, not for worth, which is the whole subject of this message. And so I'm gonna be confident in God in what he's given me and entrusted me to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since this new way, which is the new covenant, gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Because of the gospel, because of the cross, we can have a confidence in whatever God leads us to do. We can be bold with it. We can be bold with this gospel because of the confidence that has come as a result of being summoned and called to be somebody that creates an invitation for people to know Jesus. Boldness, boldness, write this down, leads us where fear cannot. Boldness leads us where fear cannot. Wherever you, wherever you are confident in God's grace in your life, you will probably find your calling. And like I said, that's often in a place of weakness. That's often in a place where 
where you feel most rattled right now, where you have mo the most trouble trusting in God is probably a part of your calling. You're like, I have a hard time trusting God with my finances. I have a hard time trusting God with my relationships, my kids. I have lots of fear, anxiety. There's probably a part of your calling in that because you have to rely on his grace. And as you rely on his grace, you're gonna to begin to see the testimony of God's faithfulness through relying on him and his strength and not your own. It's part of where you're called to walk and move ahead. And so Paul says, like I said, right after this, let's read the verse uh, after verse one. We've only camped out in verse one. We're almost done here. Therefore, I, prisoner of the, uh, for serving the Lord, beg you to live a life or lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Now let's see how, what he connects to the calling of God in verse two. Always be humble and gentle. So you want to general, let's generalize your calling for a second. You know, we, lo we love God, we love people, we're called on mission to spread the good news of the kingdom. This is part of our calling, loving our neighbor as ourself. You want to generalize it even more, okay? You want to figure out where you're called to? Well, be humble. Be humble. Because when you're humble in any opportunity that you've been given, you're going to learn from it. You're going to grow from it. Pride is the thing that will take you out. It will stop you from advancing. Humility will keep you moving forward. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. We're called to be patient. It's part of our calling. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Give grace. Extend grace because grace has been extended to you. Make every effort. This is a great, great definition of calling right here. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Okay, imagine we could apply that now to every divisive thing that's taken place in the last two years alone. All the divided communities, divided churches, divided friendship groups, leadership groups that have been divided over things that should not divide them. Let's be divided over the fact that we have a scandalous gospel. I believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's no other God, no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Let's be divided on that. But on things that are happening in our culture, the way things are being handled, your political position, your political stance, who you vote for, who you don't vote for, why you don't vote, why you vote, you know, uh, uh, vaccination, unvaccination, mask, no mask. Let's not be divided on those things. Let's be divided on the things that actually should be divisive. And it's the fact that we believe scandalous things about reality, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I mean, that in of itself is the most divided, divisive statement you can make, period. But yet we want to get divided over all these other things. Anyways, so, so like imagine we applied verse two in the last season. I think we'd be a lot further down the road in health than we are right now. Let's continue on and jump to verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teacher, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then there'll be no, then we will no longer be like immature children you won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new doctrine or teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, 
who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full in love. And I read all of that because when we think about calling and we think about some of the things I read in verse two, we think about how these translate. We think about the leadership gifts in that God has given the church. These things are given to bring order, to bring alignment. And all these things cannot do those things if we don't know, number one, that we have a responsibility to be stewards, that we have a value, that God sees that we are valuable, and ultimately that we have and can be rest assured that we have a calling. So we have responsibility, we have value, we have calling. And this is all so true because of God's love towards us and knowing this enables us to live from a place of worth. Your calling, like I said earlier, is to invite somebody into a relationship with Jesus. This is a simple way. If you're struggling with your calling, trying to figure out your calling, start there. That you have a mission to love God, love people. One of the ways you love people is to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You may not be an evangelist training other evangelists. You may not be an evangelist on the global platform as the evangelist, the Reinhard Bonnke, the Billy Graham, but you can do the work of an evangelist. You can love people into the kingdom. You can extend a helping hand. You can be benevolent towards them, generous towards them, be a part of their journey in discovering who Jesus is. 1 Timothy 2, 4 to 7. This is a great way to start, place to start for your calling. He wants not only us, you, but everyone saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned that there's one God and only one, and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, he's one, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. Eventually, the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work or calling. This is my calling. Here's Paul speaking to Timothy. This is my calling. This is my calling. Like, I want you to say that over yourself. Like, if you're struggling with your calling, if you don't start here, you won't see the other things unfold in your life. This is your first priority. This is your calling. And it's, in fact, honestly, I would say that everything that I'm doing today, all the little extensions and offshoots and branches in my life started when I was 18 years old, turning 19 years old, started with simply me going out onto the street and fulfilling this as my priority. Just loving people into the kingdom, sharing my story, what God did in my life. You wanna figure out the next things that are supposed to happen? If you're not on mission, you're missing the rollout of all the opportunities that God has for you in your life. Start here and you will win. It says this, this and this only has been my appointed work getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. Maybe you're watching today, you've never surrendered your life to God, surrendered your life to Jesus. You stumbled on here by accident or maybe you're here on purpose and you're searching. Maybe someone sent this to you. Maybe you started halfway through and you're wondering why you're listening to this. I just believe that you landed on this page, you landed on this video, you're listening right now for a reason. 
There's a reason beyond what you can comprehend, but God has been knocking literally on the door of your heart for a long time now. Maybe you've had many moments like this where you sense like, okay, I need to make this change. Maybe you've been on the fence in your faith. Maybe you grew up around religion, in church. Maybe you've had moments where you knew there was someone out there that was protecting you. I just believe that all those things are because Jesus wants a relationship with you and he wants you to know that he was there in all those moments. And he's been knocking on the door of your heart. If you're watching right now, it's a simple step forward to come into relationship with Jesus. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It says in Romans chapter 10, that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, we will be saved. Simply acknowledging who God is, that he is God, he is big G God, capital G God, the one way, truth, and life. There's no other way to the Father except through him. He is, that's what Lord means. Not our Lord, but Lord, the Lord. He is God. By acknowledging that and believing that he was truly raised from the dead, which makes him, amongst all the other prophets out there that you've ever read about, ever heard about, stand out. He didn't just die, he resurrected. This is what makes the gospel so scandalous, as Paul puts it. Believing that he was raised from the dead literally ushers you into a place of total and radical transformation. The moment you say yes and surrender this way is the moment, like the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that you become a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things become new. You come into the person you were always created to be. Why? Because you have worth. Not because all of a sudden you got some new worth, because you always had worth. Because God always saw value over your life. Because before you were ever even born, he died for you, with you in his mind on that cross. He put that price tag on you before you ever even existed. And all you have to do is say yes. So if that's you and you're listening, I wanna encourage you, just close your eyes for a moment and say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day and I want to come into a relationship with you today in Jesus' name. I receive your forgiveness. I want a relationship, not a religion, I want a relationship. Fill me with your joy, fill me with your presence, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I wanna know your power, know your ways, I wanna know your voice. From this day forward, I commit to walk with you in relationship, amen. If you said that, it's the best thing you'll ever, I believe, ever pray in your life, but it's simply just the starting point. Relationship looks like commitment, looks like growing, looks like maturing, looks like walking in faith every single day. I'm gonna pray for all of us watching right now. And by the way, if you said that for the first time, that prayer, we have a, an email on the screen. You can email and we'd love to get in touch with you and send you some information. But God, I pray that everyone that's watching right now, the fathers, the male figures out there, and the women, that in this season, God, we would see our value and live a life, lead a life from that place of the value that God has placed on our life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Kingdom Culture, and we will see you next week.